Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Um, we welcome you to Bite Into It. We talk technology, space, the internet, uh, right-click mentality, all kinds of stuff. Um, so do stick around for the next 58 minutes or so or whatever we can steal from Anthony Carew. Um, tonight behind the mics, it is Lily Ryan. Lily, how are you? Yeah, not doing too badly. Yeah. Didn't right-click anything on the way over here. Well, there is still time. You might have an empty desktop ready for things to throw at it. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Have all these folders need filling with lots of interesting images, drawings of lions, all that kind of stuff. Nice. Uh, Joe Eaton is also behind the mics tonight. Joe, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm all about the screenshotting. All oh. about the screenshotting. Do you get the Do you get flustered when you the click kind of like echoes out across the room that you've just like taken a photo of some kind and people react? Who leaves their clicks on? I leave my clicks so, on. Yeah, it sounds like Warren does. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, I am here, Warren Davies, with my clicks. Um, after, I guess, 260-odd days uh, in lockdown, um, there's a few of us that are keen for the Hot Facts Summer and one service that is, uh, I guess, helping us do that or even just get out with our friends for a, a good time uh, in a very Melbourne way. Um, we'll be having a chat to new dating service, Boop, uh, in a few minutes on the show. Um, that'll be fun. And we're also checking in with the community lead for Start Space at the State Library, um, which is the place I guess we're all keen to get back to and, and check out, um, especially over summer. It's nice and cool. Um, or no, we'll be uh, having a chat with us a little bit later in the show about um, yeah help for early stage founders, not so much startups that are you know doing well and got a bit of momentum behind them, but people who need uh, some some good advice and, and help to get going. So that's probably a good thing after the the past eighteen months that we've had. But before that, uh, and before those chats, we've got uh, a little bit to, to talk about that's, um, that's fun. Um, Lily, you've been tracking a, a new app for um, around speech impairments, which sounds cool. Yeah. So yesterday, Google launched a beta app that people with speech impediments can use um, as a voice assistant, which is super cool because as many folks will be aware, that is something that's pretty hard. I mean, it's it's already, already pretty hard if you have an accent that's not an American accent or um, if you're drunk or all kinds of interesting things happen. But um, for people who do have permanent speech impairments, it is, of course, a problem that is not temporary. And Google is trying to do that with a thing called Project Relate. So there's a beta program now um, that people can sign up for. Volunteers have to be 18 or over and um, have what they're calling um, difficulty being understood by others, which is a thing that has a formal definition. But more or less, uh, you know, if you've got a speech impediment, you can sign up for this. Um, It's available to people in Australia who speak English. And you have to record 500 phrases that they've set for you that adds to their data bank so that they can help recognize all these different new phrases, which will help improve their model for understanding new voices. And then you get access to um, an, a beta app, which is going to – it's a voice synthesizer um, that will help to communicate sentences out loud or repeat things out loud if, if people need that sort of assistance. That's ace. I think um, uh, it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's almost to me like a a Microsoft kind of approach that we we just took took care of the the most common use cases, and we're finally just working around to millions of people who need to use this stuff. But um, 
I guess, better late than never, really. Yeah, well, uh, from what I've seen, the discussion about this has been really positive, which is mm. awesome because anything that helps people get the access that everybody else has to things, the better. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll tweet the link out to that. Um, I think that's great. Um, one of the other things that uh, we have been keeping an eye on is, um, <laughs> I guess it's been one of the sort of almost tech and almost bite into it uh, conversations over the past few years, like putting stuff up into space. And Dan Salmon, if you're listening, um, yeah, your man is, uh, I guess, responsible for, for part of this. But um, Australia is actually helping um, fight in the, uh, I guess, quest to, to get rid of space junk. Um, there is a ton of it out there. Um, and um, I'm always kind of fascinated by um, uh, how much damage just like the smallest thing can do. Like you tend to think, oh, okay, we're getting rid of a, you know, a small satellite or you know just something that's a few kilos or something like that. But you only need like a tiny little thing just whipping around at thousands of miles an hour. Yeah. Um, and it yeah it can do a, a lot of damage. So um, yeah, Australia is um, out there. I'm always interested in our role in space. I know we now have a space agency in, in I think, South Australia and um, we're, we're doing a little bit more. But we've always had, even though we're not kind of shooting rockets up uh, on the regular, we've always had an interesting role in, in the space story. Well, I'm glad that we're helping clean it up. That's good. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, in terms of what's going on, um, they're working on, um, uh, okay, there's some old-fashioned techniques inspired by the Age of Sail, such as uh, harpoons and nets, so literally just sending up stuff to just, like, grab it. Space harpoons. Space harpoons, uh, very sci-fi, um, which is great. Um, so yeah, it's hard to, um, it's hard to actually, because, um, the earth's atmosphere is kind of always shimmering and, um, I guess there's not what you'd say is there's not a lot of, um, contrast. Um, it's actually really hard to see the stuff, um, especially the smaller stuff. So we're also working on a thing called, uh, electro optic systems. Um, it's from, um, Mount Stromlo in Canberra, where traditionally we've like had an observatory and done a lot of good stuff. Um. But it's working on um, distorting, we're using lasers and distorting the light. So we've got harpoons and, and, and lasers. Um, That's amazing. Which is great. So, um, yeah, I, I guess the main thing is the effects of the atmosphere and, and um, uh, sort of reflection of light and so forth have to be taken into account. But, um, yeah, we're spotting it and um, helping to set the stuff up. Have we tried stopping Elon Musk from putting more stuff up there? That would be the easiest thing. Um, <laughs> people just throwing cigarette butts out their window. How about we just stop that kind of behavior? Yeah, exactly. Like you put a whole car up there. I mean, come on. Um, speaking of that kind of stuff, um, cars going up into space, cars falling from the sky. Um, this did one. This did make me laugh, and I, I cut games makers and, and manufacturers and console um, a little bit of slack because it is a fun space and you have to do some fun stuff with it. Mm. Um, so why not uh, drop a car uh, on Mildura? Um, I say. Why Mildura? Why not Mildura? All right, fair. Tell us more. Um, so yeah, uh, there's been a, um, a, a death-defying stunt um, for the release of uh, Forza um, Horizon Five, which uh, I think would be a car game. Um, I, I'm, I don't play tons of games, but um, yeah, it was uh, dropped out of a helicopter in Mildura. Um, yeah. Okay. How do you how do you get a car into a helicopter? I think it's an it's a yeah I think it's an army helicopter. Oh so yeah. Like, okay. Um, Maybe it was dangling from the helicopter. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So, what did it drop onto? Uh, I'm trying to. It's basically got a, a long video here, but oh. um, I might have to give you an update later. But it's a, 
It's a huge kind of um, uh, what are those um, uh, like monster trucks? Oh yeah, yeah. One of those kinds of things with so, good suspension to absorb the, the drop. You would hope it's got very good suspension, <laughs> and the uh, the shoot is uh, is huge. But I'll I'll keep you posted on that one. Um, the video yeah, is just fascinated. kind of rolling on that one. But um, one thing that would be worth a, I guess a little bit of a longer chat. Um, my uh, yeah. So I follow I follow all kinds of people on Twitter, not not specifically uh, tech folks, but in tech circles, one of the things that has been really sort of bumping along um, over summer, um, or over summer and into this year, uh, has been NFTs um, and I guess sort of uh, Web three stuff. Um, uh-huh. One of the interesting things about this space is I don't want to. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin people's fun. So when they say, you know, they've, they've picked up a toad and, and this is going on, that's going on. Um, I like to say that's all well and good and that's fun and you can do what you like with your money. But I do kind of reserve judgment and say I'm. It's not the sort of thing that I'm going to rush into and, and, and put my money into. Not for, for you. For for a variety of reasons. Yeah, not for me. Yeah. Um, but there's been some interesting commentary about um, uh, what someone's called uh, right-click mentality, which is the idea that um, to wind up this kind of speculative bubble of um, uh, speculative art, and some of the stuff is good, but I think the economics behind it is is strange and the ownership idea is strange, um, by saying we can just save as. So anything that you can create, distribute and share and pass around for millions of dollars or euros or pounds or whatever, mm. I can save and stick on my wall and print out. But I'd be interested to see what you folks think about this kind of um, trolling of, of uh, NFTs. Well, I think, you know, I mean, NFTs, the non-fungible tokens, they're these pieces of art or anything really. I've seen people make, I think McDonald's turned a burger into an NFT at one point. Um so the idea is that you can pay a certain amount of money to have a ledger somewhere record the fact that you own this thing or you own the rights to this thing or something like that. So if it was, I heard someone describe it as if you got the Mona Lisa and you turned around and like looked on the back of it, it'd have your name on it, but it doesn't prevent other people looking at the Mona Lisa. So what's interesting to me is that this doesn't seem to confer like copyright or anything like that. You don't own the copyright. You just have the right to have your name go next to the thing as far as I understand it? Well, here's an interesting take on it. This, this is the, the read. I think you're right there. Um, so I'll introduce the term, the term bezel here, which is uh, a piece of uh, a grand kind of gesture towards people saying, I've created something of value. And before people can actually assess whether that uh, is true or not or a good decision, they've already kind of lost their, their power to make a good decision about that transaction. So it's sleight of hand. So uh, in, in this piece on um, from uh, Cory Doctorow, it's about um, the bezel for NFT uh, is when NFT owners deliberately blur the distinction between owning the right to say you helped an artist and the right to say you own their work. They treat the NFT in as equivalent to the image it refers to rather than a bit of metadata that relates to the image. Um, yeah, it's not surprising as speculators are more in, uh, interested in inflating tradable assets than in, in the arts patronage. So it's this very confusing thing between did I actually support the person with the toad or am I just squatting on their art to, to make some dollars off it? Yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen um, people on Twitter get angry and, I mean, water's wet, but I've seen people on Twitter get angry <laughs> about the fact that um, – there are people going around sort of saying, I've right-clicked this image that you paid for and I've saved it. And they're taking little <laughs> screenshots and posting it to, to Twitter saying that, um, you know, well, you've paid all this money, but I can still download it, right-click, save as. So 
what have you done with your money? Yeah, I saw someone replying with, Twitter, how did you allow this? Oh, <laughs> yes, I saw that one. <laughs> Um, apparently the term came from uh, a, a, an NFT bro called uh, Midwit Millhouse um, who, who sort of um, coined it. And one of the interesting things to talk about this was um, the, the famous kind of Salt Bay stakes, which is the, the person making these big stakes and like very sort of um, extravagantly sprinkling the salt. Oh, salt Bay from the meme. Salt Bay from the meme. Um, so uh, someone's made their own version of these $2,000 you know, um, stakes that you might see uh, Conor McGregor or someone kind of out uh, enjoying for, for $90. Um, uh, but the kind of, um, what the person was explaining about this is it's not so much that the stake's worth that, it's the flex to show that you have $2,000 to throw away on a stake that Mm -hmm. is worth $30, um, so it's not about the actual good. It's the flex that you can afford the good. So you can go away and make this $90 um, thing in a right-clicker mentality, but no one's going to be impressed by a $90 stake. It has to be a $2,000 stake, it's- which suggests it's not the item itself, but it's the exchange that's the value in this. I wonder if it's like owning the original painting versus having a print of it. Well, exactly. Um, no, you're, ex- you're exactly right. Um, so interesting. I, I will I will share that around because it's a funny piece. And if anyone's out there listening to this, um, uh, I know people have strong views on uh, NFTs right now. Um, so we'd like to hear some of those. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. Okay. And we are going to be having a bit of a chat about a, uh, a thing that's I don't know, on a lot of people's minds. How do we get out there? How do we uh, start uh, meeting folks again and uh, having good intimate times? And where should we be doing it? How does this all work again? Because we're a little bit out of practice. So uh, we're now joined uh, on air by Rowan, uh, who is at Boop, uh, which is, um, I guess, a fun new dating app specifically for Melbourne, or we're getting the first go at it. Um, Rowan, thanks for making time tonight. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, so, how does how does Melbourne date? I'm sure you've been thinking about this for a, a, a little while now, and have lots of points of view on it. What's what's interesting about Melbourne dating? Do you think uh, Melbourne as different from, say, the rest of the world? Yeah, for example. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think that um, I think it's probably the biggest thing that, that comes to mind is that Melbourne has. I mean, one thing that we're very famous for, I think, is just all the venues that we have available. I mean. Melbourne has some of the best, like, spots to go to. It has a lot of, like, hospitality venues, um, cafes, the coffee. We're sort of famous for that. Uh, and going out and spending time in those places, I think, is a big Melbourne thing. We're a very sort of cosmopolitan city. And I think that, yeah, I think Melbourne specifically is, is really good in that way. Can you uh, share um, one of your favourite dates, date moments, maybe with a hospitality vibe to it or, or, or not? Something that you felt was like uh, it could have only happened in Melbourne? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, wow. You really, you're putting me on the spot. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I, can, I, can, um, I can tell you one that, that comes to mind uh, from a while back where it was definitely, I'm not a, I'm not a big wine bar person. I like having wine, yeah. but I, I, I'm not a fan of wine bars per se. No, nothing sure. personal. It's just me. But yeah, going to a great wine bar in Fitzroy and then spending like five hours there and not necessarily drinking a lot of wine and kind of ending yeah. up in the back courtyard because we found that atmosphere at that particular place a bit oppressive but that, that felt like a very Melbourne night and I'll remember that date for a while Sure, I can actually I, that's fair, I can actually tell you about one uh, that I went on relatively recently that I really enjoyed, which was um, 
So I went down to at the, we went down to Chapel Street and grabbed some food because this was sort of in that intermediary period we had recently where you could there was limited sort of capacity to go into a lot of venues, but mm. getting takeaway was available. And then uh, this girl and I we ended up going down to the river down Alexander Avenue and sat at the sort of benches down there and just had this takeaway with us, uh, and we could sort of could look out over the river and see the the stadium right the soccer stadium, and I think that was. I mean, I really like that kind of thing personally. I really like being out, like, in the world. Mm. And obviously with lockdown, that was kind of all you could do, right? You could only go out and sort of wander around in the outdoors. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was, like, a really fun experience. That's nice. I might go and recreate that. Uh... Right. But we were limited, you know. Like, it's been limited for a long time. There wasn't – there's been very few opportunities to go and do fun activities and actually go to these venues, which we now are sort of able to do again. And, and to be clear, you, you might just have to explain it a bit. It's not it's not a dating app like uh, Tinder or OkCupid or something. It, there's a, there's a little bit more to it, so we, we'd love to hear about that. Great. I was hoping you'd ask me that question. <laughs> um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we we our whole thing is being the going on dates app, right? And I think it's important that we let people know that it's it's not like other dating apps in that regard. Um, we really want to separate ourselves and make sure that that, that that's clear. Um, that, that's our sort of that's our whole like jam, and I think the big thing that separates us in that regard there's sort of two elements to it. Philosophically, I think there's a big there's a big difference, there's a big separation for us from the likes of Tinder and other sort of the conventional sort of ongoing uh, mainstream dating apps. And the big thing there is really our whole goal is to get people out and about and meeting in the real world. I think that the existing dating apps and sort of online dating itself. It's kind of in the name, right? You've got this like online dating situation, right? And I think that people, a lot of these platforms, they're built and designed in a way to keep you online. And even the financial element to that, the fact that that these platforms are built, their their monetization strategy is designed so that, you know, they're only really earning money when people stay on the platforms. And if they lose their users, if their users are actually kind of successful in their dating life, then that's actually a negative to the bottom line for these companies. And so philosophically speaking, right off the bat, when we started the company or when I founded the company, it was really important that we aligned ourselves in that way to make sure that everything we did was actually about getting people out and meeting in the real world. And so our success was tied to that. So, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, um, well, I was going to say that this app, it's not just for singles, right? That's another thing that I noticed on your website that seems to be a real difference. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's a really big point as well. Um, that, you know, the first, the first challenge, or I think the first thing we wanted to solve was uh, a lot of the issues that came up when talking to single people. Um, that was sort of how the, the company got founded initially. And then along the way, when we started developing the, the systems and the sort of features, and the biggest one that we've got in terms of separating is the actual event creation feature where we suggest venues and suggest places to go. Once we started building that, it just became immediately obvious, like very quickly in our development, that it was like, hey, we're building this awesome event creation system. We're creating this curated list of great date places, and we're encouraging people, you know, with these systems that help them to connect and interact. Why would it have to just be for single people? Uh, and so we sort of then went, hey, let's just let everybody use it. So absolutely, it's, it's a system that if you're in a relationship or even if you just want to go out with your friends or your family, right, which is kind of funny, but it's true. You can use it. In that way, absolutely. And take your mum out for a night out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I know it sounds funny because it's like, oh, it's a date, but that's exactly right. The system's built that way. The event creation is like that. And 
if you're looking for somewhere to go, you know, we have this curated list of really fun places. And so, yeah, you can. You can take your mom out on a date. <laughs> if that's your jam. If it's Mother's Day, you want to take your mom on a date? 100%. Absolutely. This is this is great. I mean, we're at, we're at the park like playing petonk on the weekend, and we were obsessed yeah. with this group of roller skaters over there. And everyone's like, what, "What are those roller skaters doing?" Like, this would have been the perfect yeah. use case to like, "Hey, you guys want to come roller skating? You guys want to play?" Off we go. Um, yeah. And and what's what's been the? Tell us a little bit about the I guess the foundation story and getting it going, and some of that weird stuff that often happens at the start, where you're like, "What is this? Can it work?" Be curious to know a bit about about that stuff. Oh, for sure. It's, I love how you mentioned the weird stuff as well. It has been, <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely been an adventure uh, for the last couple of years. So I actually founded the company uh, with a friend of mine several years back, and he has actually since left, right? Um, but essentially what, what got us into it or what got the whole sort of idea from the beginning was this idea around that dating apps weren't really serving the the goal that at least I had in mind when I first started using them, and, I, and I'd never really used them in my life, and I started using them for the first time only a few years ago, and there was a disconnect between what the outcome was in terms of what are people looking for? Do they want to meet up in person? Um, is that actually why we're here? And it didn't seem to me like meeting up in the real world and actually going out and going on dates and actually getting to know someone in person was necessarily the goal for everyone on the platform, there was that kind of disconnect. People didn't necessarily know exactly what they were looking for. Um, and, you got catfished and, a lot, sounds like. Uh, I, didn't, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get catfished too bad. I have been catfished a couple of times, but I didn't actually get catfished too bad. But it was, I think that was the biggest thing, is that there seemed to be a disconnect between online dating and what the experience people, people had had, but also the experiences I was having with meeting people in the real world. And I personally found meeting people in the real world to be a, a much better experience. And then later on, when I talked and did a lot of interviews, we ended up interviewing you know, dozens and dozens of people in the demographic. One of the biggest pieces of feedback that I got, particularly from young women, uh, was how much they preferred meeting people in the real world. Right? And so from that perspective, it just became really obvious. It was like, well, how can we bring, like, use a digital product to actually try to recreate that or to try to get people to actually be engaging in the real world as quickly as possible, as effectively as possible, and overcoming a lot of those barriers that I think exist to get people from a digital space into a real world space. So one of the things that came to mind for me when you started talking about this real world stuff, um, apart from the fact that, oh my God, the real world, who's been there for the last two years, <laughs> yeah, was, exactly. funny, right? <laughs> was um, the fact that with online dating, at the very least, you do get a chance to sort of get to know somebody before you s decide to go out and, and be with them in person. There's a real safety aspect to that. Yes. Um, right. How do you folks address that <laughs> when it comes to encouraging people to go out and meet up with strangers potentially? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, really, really good question. I think there's a couple of elements there. I think the big one is verifying, you know, one of the biggest things that, that people, the feedback that we got was verifying that the person they're talking to is that person. Uh, and I think that there's the sort of practical element of that. Do they look like their photos? Are they as tall? Are they as old or as tall? You know, the sort of the data points. Of, is this so you've got to be person? honest? Yeah, you've got to be honest, right? Ideally, you know, and we have verification systems. I, I, a lot of the other apps do this as well, right? Um, and there are other ways you can verify using people's social media and things like that to make sure that they're them. But I think another really big element that doesn't necessarily get looked at but became really, really apparent when talking to people was figuring out who is this person underneath the data, right? Like, what is the vibe? You know, what are they actually like as a human being? 
Um, and people, you know, were really, it was really important to most people, particularly women, uh, to sort of understand and get that feeling of who this person was before they were going to then go and meet up with them in person. And I think from that perspective, we started looking at text messaging and a lot of the like kind of primitive, or I'm calling them primitive, the kind of basic like systems that have been developed to interact online and looking at ways to sort of enhance them and give people tools using things like video and, and different mediums of interaction. Um, we have some like getting to know you games that are in development currently that can really enhance the sense of who this person is. Like you really get a better uh, impression of who that person you're actually talking to is and you can get that impression more quickly. Okay. That sounds really great um, and very novel too. Particularly those getting yeah. to know you games, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, right. Um, they are a lot of fun. We've actually played some like cardboard versions. We've actually sent them out recently. We've, we've made like, you know, before it goes digital, you have just like paper versions of something. We actually have a couple of cardboard versions of these that we've been sort of playing around with. And they are, they are a really lot of fun to get to know someone. One of the other things though, just quickly, because you brought it up, um, with safety being such a big, big factor, we are building some unique and I think really powerful safety features that are currently in development. They're actually some of the first things we want to roll out because safety is such a big deal. Um, and those are more leaning into that actual real-world practicality stuff. So we have a system that we're in development currently where you can input um, like a, what would you call it, like an emergency contact into the actual platform. Oh, yeah. and, you can pr and you can pre-script a text message. Uh, and with that person, it could be your mom, it could be your best friend, whoever it is. And you can actually share your location potentially with them and send that text message. So if you ever feel like something's not going well and things are you know, problematic or there's an issue, you can just press a button on the app and it'll straight away notify this person. Oh, that's and great. They can be, yeah, and they can be sent data about where you're going, who you're with, right, all this kind of stuff. I'm I'm curious to know. Um, I'm gr I'm glad that you've got the uh, share your feedback thing, and you've kind of got like a I guess a Reddit style kind of suggestion box going on here with mm -hmm. sort of upvotes and comments. Feel free, yeah. Feel free to put your suggestions in. <laughs> we'll we'll th we'll throw them in. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know. Are you are you kind of? There's a lot of suggestions here about being able to filter and control over the experience. Are you more sort of algorithmically driven, or more sort of? have control, you can set up lots of filters and so on. Like, okay, Cupid has a lot of questions and, you know, mm -hmm. they want you to do 300 questions to get better matches, whereas... Yeah. Yeah, what, what's what's your kind of philosophy on the experience there? Yeah, yeah. I, I think very much early on we looked at that and, and wanted to steer away from that kind of an approach. Uh, I think that in a lot of ways, you know, those kind of 300 questions, I think OkCupid okay, and other similar platforms, I think Match.com has a similar kind of approach they're really looking to sort of find you, quote, the one. And I think that in that regard, they, they want to use their digital systems and their algorithms to try and give you the highest chance of success that this one person or this very small pool of people will actually potentially be your sort of life partner. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an approach, and I think that that's works for them. That's not really the approach that we wanted to take. Um, for us, I think it was more important to again, really be able to get people to interact one-on-one -on -one as much as possible. Uh, and that can be using the sort of systems online that we've built, right, or that, we're, that are in development, like these getting-to-know-you games. But also, I think it's pretty fair to say, and definitely all the feedback we've gotten supports this, people don't really know people until you meet them or at a minimum until at least you speak to them, let's say using like a Zoom or something. Um, and so I think that one of the best ways for people to filter through others um, is 
is actually getting to know them, right, is actually having those interactions. That being said, though, we are very much building in some what I would call foundational kind of filters, you know, like going back to that data point, there are some things that are real deal breakers for people. Obviously, I think gender is a big one, age. Um, there are other factors. I know height can be a big one for people. And then other things like religion and do you have children and smoking and things like that. And so we want to give people the tools to be able to filter in that regard so you can sort of, you know, filter down into a practical pool of people that you would actually be interested in. Nice. Does that, yeah. answer, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, it's... It is interesting. I mean, I have I have done you know online dating and got a lot of respect for it. I think it's um it's it's great um, in a lot of ways. I just remember being in that pool where they're like, "This is your pool, and you've got ten, and I know you've all been hanging out for six months, but maybe you try it a little bit differently. Upload a different photo, or like, don't be so standoffish." Um, so yeah, I think a bit of flex on that is is good because. We're all very smart and we make great systems, but we're not perfect, so uh, a little bit of flex is good. Um, right, and, and I, oh, I was just going to say on, on that point, like this is one of the things that ties back, I think, and people have a big appeal for it about meeting in, in real life, right? Because you know, so many times I hear people say things like, hey, I met this person, and at first I didn't really like them that much, or in first impression I wasn't really that into them, and then I spent, or I didn't immediately find myself attracted to that person. And then I spoke to them for a few minutes and I was like, wow, I didn't realize they were actually like this. So I think it definitely can happen for sure. Another thing I was wondering about, if you're meeting up in real life, does your app have um, that sort of feature that a lot of other dating apps seem to have done about, you know, whether you can declare if you've been vaccinated? Because I know a lot mm-hmm. of venues have a requirement now. So Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah as soon as that, as soon as that uh, came up, we put it straight in. <laughs> as soon as like the COVID, the COVID situation and because we sort of only recently launched in the last couple of weeks um, – and during, given that the timing was actually perfect, mm. right? That, that, yeah, the timing was amazing. I mean, we couldn't have planned it better. Uh, but because of the timing and with COVID, it was just we would put it straight in. We were like, we, we have a tag and you can nominate the, whether you've been vaccinated. That's absolutely right. Well, I think you've sold us, Rowan. Um, what should oh. people do if they want to um, give Boop a try? Right. They can check us out on our website, which is boop.date. Um, we're also where all good apps are found on the App Store, the Apple App Store for iOS and also the Google Play Store. And that's boop.date. Boop.dates. Get into it, folks. And uh, Rowan, thank you very much for um, spending some of your date time with us instead. No problem. Thanks very much for having me. Triple R. And we are back. And we do have Orn uh, being a community lead, uh, always available, always working with people. And uh, on the end of the phone there now, um, Orn, we're just saying uh, that you've been uh, working on a great initiative with the State Library of Victoria and Start Space is doing um, some new stuff to help founders and, and uh, I guess, early stage startups, very early stage, yeah. to, to get going. So thanks for taking time on your Wednesday night to have a chat to us. Thanks for having me. Um, so, what, I guess for people who don't know, what is what is Startspace? What's that about? Yeah, so Startspace is part of uh, State Library Victoria, and so we're, we're in a support service, uh, extremely early stage founders. So, idea stage, you want to get something off the ground. Um, why not go to your local library um, and and just to use that space and resource to to see what your idea can do? Um, so, you know, access resources, also beta community have somewhere to work and, and, and work on that from uh, the local library. 
And, and what kind of, um, uh, I guess, founders and, and people have you been working with to, to date? It's it's the whole gamut. Um, so so to date, we've got a few hundred that have come through over the last few years, um, ranging from people making more more traditional traditional business ideas. So you know, jewellery makers, uh, people wanting to do things in the floristry space, uh, all the way through to someone who's been working a corporate job for a couple of decades and potentially thinking about branching out and then wanting to do some consulting. I've got a doula. I've got a team working on protein, uh, bubble tea-flavoured protein powder. Um, There's a few dating apps there as well. Um, I've got about 15 postdoc PhDs working on some commercialisation, all the way through to your AR, VR, blockchain, things I don't fully comprehend, but but love it and love the excitement when someone comes in and and wants to to really knuckle down and and give their idea a go. Uh, and, and you've kind of done something interesting here where um, you, you've got, uh, I guess, people behind it. There is the uh, Lisa Ring and Family Scholarship Program, uh, I believe, that's um, yeah, opening up scholarships specifically for people. Yeah, so it, it's really in line with what we've always wanted to do with, with Startspace, which was to provide opportunity and, and really that access piece into the world of of um, entrepreneurship and, and into the startup ecosystem. And, and one of the barriers we, we recognised was that a lot of the supports around the ecosystem tend to be aimed slightly further along the journey. And so, you know, you can look at, at figures around um, whether cap funding goes to from a diversity lens, but, but ultimately there's a lot of things further along but at this very early stage, there was an opportunity um, to to not only provide resources, programming, and space, but also funding. So, so just this week, um, we've worked with Lisa Ring and her family office, and to to launch um, some inaugural, inaugural scholarships. Um, so, really proud to yeah, be able to bring that to the ecosystem and and just launch them as of Monday this week. That's super exciting, and I'm sure that there are probably a lot of people listening who are very uh, excited and passionate sort of potential startup founders themselves. What kind of things do you need to have to be eligible for this program? Yeah, so eligibility is pretty open-ended. Anyone over the age of 18 who lives in Victoria, um, who has an early-stage business or startup idea, um, and has the capacity to, I guess, kind of commit themselves to to work quite actively on that that idea and that, that business through the first half of next year. So we're running January um, for six months and, and there's a package of supports that will really help to um, enable those founders to, to commit to the idea because something we recognised was, you know, finance might be... Um, a barrier to entry to, you know, stop working for part of the week and then to devote yourself to to the, the opportunity or the dream that, that your idea might might take flight. And so there's a bit of um, untied funding there as well as part of the package. Oh, that's excellent. And um, do this, uh, does this six months, uh, do you have to spend that face-to-face uh, at the library? Are you uh, supporting remote work? What kind of things are in the mix yeah. there? Great question. Um, so the, the library's open, so we, we're very excited that the State Library opened um, just last week. So there is a a um, co-working space within the library, and that's part of the Start Space offering. So part of the package will include co-working um, facilities, but obviously as the library um, is there to support all Victorians, we're also open for people to not have to come in all the time, but that's something that we can work through with the, the 
scholars, um, but there might be some face-to-face, there invariably might be some remote work, um, and really open to to having that conversation with the successful candidates. So rural and regional Victorians can also get a look in here as well? Definitely. Amazing. I'm curious as to what kind of um, like feedback and support. I mean, obviously, sort of um, time and space and money and, and so forth are, are important, sort of at a, a seed level. But what, what kinds of things are, are found as typically needing, or have you observed, uh, are really in need of help with in, in terms of getting going? Yeah, I think I think the funding piece is quite unique at this stage because it's 10k, um, so that might you know enable people out there to, to take that plunge because knowing that there's a little bit of money there to cover living expenses for a few months, um, defray the cost of you know, transport and that sort of thing, or, or even to get, you know, plug that into the business and get an MVP off the ground. But on top of seed funding and, and somewhere to work, there's, there's, we're also going to work closely with um, the founders based on really where they're at and what they need. And there'll be a wraparound kind of bespoke training program so that that could take many facets that we there's funds available to um, kind of tie up with a, a mentor and, and to step through what it is you actually need from a mentoring perspective uh, it could be specific training uh, for technical areas that that you might be interested in growing in it might be more of a coaching relationship you're interested in it could be heading down to um you know, a startup event or, or, you know, attending conferences. And so there's opportunities to do a lot of upskilling within the six months as well um, to grow as, not not just grow the the idea and the business, but also grow the individual skills and experiences and and confidence, really. Hmm. And and what have been some of the, um, uh, I guess... um startups that you've been interested in that have either sort of come through State Library or have a relationship with State Library? I, I, I guess, you know, I mean, Sydney does okay, but Melbourne's been sort of very particular and, then, you know, we've done great with fintech and a few other areas. What, what What's kind of coming out of State Library that you're interested in or curious about or even would like to see more of um, through things like Startmate? Yeah, I think I think the nature of what Startspace is trying to do with that access piece, um, it lends itself to potentially more like social impact ideas um, and and more grassroots initiatives. So things that, you know, are are just bubbling around at idea stage, especially like the social enterprise world. And so they can come in invariably a lot of passion, a lot of ideas, a lot of lived experience. And and through that access to space, access to a community of support, access to people encouraging them and and building their confidence, um, that's definitely something that could to grow, um, and, and so that's one area. And, and Melbourne's renowned for its fintech and, and bio space as well. And so I think because of the nature that we're working so early, there's also a lot, a lot of opportunities for cross-pollination. You just get people you know, working in, in the same place and in close, close proximity. So just you know, having a chat over a coffee with someone from an entire different field um, might spur some ideas as well. So, so we're quite interested to see what that happens, what happens in, in that regard moving forward as well. Nice. And, and if people are interested in uh, applying or, or finding out more about this or even, you know, um, getting their mum along, uh, it's the night for mums getting active. <laughs> Startspace website, that's probably the best place to start. Um, so startspacehq.com. Uh, slash scholarships to find out more about the Lisa Ring and Family Scholarships um, 
specifically or, or through there you can just find out more about what we're doing at Start Space and, and State Library Victoria more broadly. Nice. Well, thank you so much. It's a, it's a great uh, initiative and, uh, you know, perfectly timed. I, I guess um, ideas are starting to bubble along again um, after uh, maybe um, you know, a more sort of um, reflective kind of time. So um, good job, on. Nice stuff. Thanks so much. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. There is a couple of things that we wanted to um, send your way. Um, Lily, I think there's an event coming up that you're keen on. Yeah, got to confess, I am rather keen on this one. I have to admit to a little self-interest in this because I'm part of the crew putting it together. But I'm also really keen to see what we've put together and hope I get a bit of a chance to do it. So Technically Games is a video game developer conference that's being held on November 20th online. Um, It's free and the tickets are available now um, at technicallygames.com.au and uh, we've got some really interesting folks lined up mostly for game developers who are looking to hone their craft make interesting art interesting games and um, yeah we're really hoping that folks will come along to that one what's uh What's most exciting about it? If you could like pick one or two things, go. You definitely have to come and see this. Last year, we had a really interesting talk about um, how to make people, how to make figures walk across different surfaces. As in, you know, as an art person, mm-hmm. as a video game developer, how to handle different surfaces if you've got rough terrain, that kind of thing. With a lot of really interesting images of like, you know, these these gifts of like two little legs walking along different <laughs> kinds of surfaces, which made me think a little bit of the Boston Dynamics. Uh, pack robots honestly but that was uh, a really interesting technical problem to solve and we have that same speaker coming back again we've also got someone coming to talk about um, lock picking and how lock picking is in real life because lock picking mini games are a thing in a lot of uh, a lot of different video games you know and they're varying degrees of accurate or realistic so we thought that we would get somebody along who knows about lockpicking to talk through how lockpicking actually works. Hopefully, I just no crimes, folks, please. But <laughs> um, to talk about how lockpicking works, what it looks like IRL, and um, the kinds of opportunities that game developers might have to make more interesting or more realistic or other kinds of uh, mini games out of these kinds of things as well. Nice. Super cool. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, how can, how can people get involved in this? Yeah, technicallygames.com.au is the website. We'll be putting the schedule up fairly soon. And that's where you can go to grab your ticket. Tickets are free again. And it's all happening online. So even if you're not fully vaxxed yet uh, or, you know, you're waiting on that second jab, um, come along. Nice. That is worth checking out. Um, I do want to say a big thank you to um, our, our guest tonight. Um, thank you very much to Rowan and uh, Boop, uh, which is a, a super fun idea. Um, get your Boop on uh, for all kinds of reasons um, uh, this summer. Um, and also to Orn uh, for a, a, yeah, a, a great way to um, help get um, micro-businesses going again uh, in Melbourne. Um, we have been bought into it. Uh, thank you to Elizabeth. Um, thank you to presenters Joe, Lily and, uh, and to myself, Warren for making the time. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts. 